Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. What a great, great morning already. But we have more. We have more, and it's going to continue to be a great morning in the presence of Almighty God. Uh, Church, we recognize the authority of government. Later on, I might actually touch Romans 13.1. Maybe you'll pick it up, but it talks about the authority of the government. We follow the laws of the land, the laws of the country, the laws of the state, the city. But at the same time, we recognize that the church does not exist by an edict of man. No, the church exists by the authority of Jesus Christ only, period. That's it. He's God. He's the king over all the earth. We've, we've sung a little bit about that this morning. And it's through the word of God and by the word of God that local churches are established. A framework of authority was established. Pastors, elders, they were put in place uh, to lead churches. A little later, I'll touch on the book of Titus. Paul set Titus as an elder on the island of Crete. He's, hey, I want you to do some things. You need to lead over there. Be that leader. But not an autocrat. The pastors and elders, no, we're not that. We're those that the word of God has admonished to watch over the souls of those that God has placed under them. Why? Because we'll have to give an account. And Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 tells us that. So how does a pastor know who he's going to give an account for? That's one of the reasons that we believe here at this local church, we believe That membership is important. The Bible tells us you're putting yourself in a place where someone is watching over your soul. The Bible relates other benefits of belonging to a local church, a community of Christians. It's your primary place to learn and to grow spiritually, to worship as we did this morning and we'll do at other times during the week and to pray and to fellowship with others and to serve the kingdom of God and to serve others and to build and develop relations and make connections. It's a place where you're kept accountable while you're in submission to the leaders for spiritual guidance and discipline. This is what church membership is about. And you don't get any of that if you just attend here and then you go there and then you pop over to this person and then you listen to uh, maybe a podcast or uh, something on the internet and then you'll visit this other place. No, you need to get a place that you can say, this is where I'm going to get my spiritual leadership and guidance and direction and people will pray for me when I'm sick and they'll rejoice with me when I'm having a great uh, joy in my life. And this is membership. It's not inconsequential. It's, a, it's, it's important. And we see it as important. We recognize it as important. And we want to recognize those who acknowledge the same. That they acknowledge the significance of this. 
And we want to do that this morning and welcome them. Welcome them into this local body of Bethesda Christian Church. So we're going to do that. We're thrilled to do that. No, no, no. Welcome and introduce those that are doing that this morning. So from my right over here at uh, the right front at the first altar, I want to invite Hamza and Casey Muhammad. Uh, they would uh, this morning... They were to have their daughter, Eliza. She's a sixth grader at Parkway, but she's not feeling well today. So we miss Eliza, but welcome to Hamza and Casey. And uh, next, we are inviting Stephen Perkins and Genevieve Quintano. And Stephen and uh, Genevieve are engaged to be married, which is a great thing. And uh, Stephen... Stephen's been here all his life, but, you know, he wants to make this decision as an adult because, again, it recognizes the importance of the things that I talked about, so that's a great thing. Right here to, to my front right, Larry and Rosa Jones. Larry and Rosa, come on up. And Larry and Rosa were a part of Bethesda, and uh, we welcomed them back that they were... Um, as, uh, as it happens uh, sometimes in life. That it's been about 30 years, but we're glad to have them back, and that's great. Uh, and now to my front left, Justin and Emily Albrecht. And Emily, Emily also has been attending Bethesda just about all her life. And... Uh, of, she is also making this decision as an adult, recognizing the importance. Uh, to their left, Steve and Lisa Weishar. And they are coming with their son, Evan, who's a fifth grader at Parkway and having a great time. So we welcome Steve and Lisa. And then finally, uh, at the fire altar, Taylor Allen, who is uh, coming with her husband, who uh, is going to stand with her this morning. He's our student pastor, Noah Allen. You, you saw him, but again, all of these making this uh, a decision in their life, and they see the importance, and we do too, as this body of believers. I want to invite uh, our elders and ministers to come stand behind them, those that you know who uh, we have talked to who are going to pray and we just want to pray a blessing. We want to pray a blessing on these individuals. And I want you to join me as we pray. Pray over them. Just ask God to bless them right here at this local church and use them to their fullest potential. So let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for these who are standing here at the front of this, your church, this local church that you've ordained, that you've put in place. This is your church, God. We're grateful for this church, Bethesda Christian Church, and we're grateful for these souls, these individuals who have said, I'm going to make that my home, my spiritual place to learn, to grow, God. 
Just anoint these all that are here at the front, Lord, every single individual that I've named, God, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest upon them, that you would bless them here at this body of believers, God, that you would use them. Lord, that you would expose gifts and talents in them that they don't even know that they have, God, to the betterment of your kingdom, to build and grow relationships here in this church, to be used beyond the walls of this church, to add to the church such as would be saved. God, use them as witnesses and lights of the kingdom of God. Lord, establish them here, and Lord, use them. We thank you for them. May your blessing rest upon them and their families. God, be behind them and in front of them. Lord, surround them. We are grateful and thankful for you adding to the church. And we give you all the glory, Lord. And we look forward to the blessings and the testimonies from these lives as they step here into this membership of this church. Thank you, God. Thank you. We ask it all in that powerful, wonderful name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, yes, give them a great welcome. Come on. Come on. Give them a welcome. Let's say... We're glad you're here. We are glad you're here. You see these faces. You know these names. You've seen them up on the screens. If you see them around here, say, welcome. We're glad you're here because we are. So uh, as, as they're taking their seats this morning, we have some uh, children in the house that we want to dismiss to our children's church. So it's a great time for that as uh, all of these who are New members return to their seats. So kids, those of you up to the fifth grade, you see the blue shirts over to my left. You move on over there and have a great, great time. I don't know if any of you have uh, been paying attention to some of the social media threads. Have you seen the new treehouse? Oh, it's pretty amazing. It's live and it's on site. And it's uh, a treehouse in the Kings Island Children's Church. And it really looks amazing. So the kids are going to have a great time this morning. And we're going to move into the Word of God. We're going to get into the Word of God. I want to ask you a question this morning. What is your cause? What is your cause? Cause can be things like mission, other synonyms of movement and undertaking. What is your mission? What is your cause? Is your cause God's cause? Is it the cause of Jesus Christ? Or if you think about it, you're going to have some time to think about it as I speak this morning. Is your cause separated from the cause of Christ. I want us to really think about that this morning. It's going to be my focus. And I'm going to consider it by first considering God's cause. And go to one of the books in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. And if you have your Bibles with you, if you have your uh, electronic Bibles with you, Exodus chapter 6. I'm also going to be in 1 Kings chapter 13. I'll be in Titus chapter 2. So those are areas that you could put bookmarks in. I'm going to begin with Exodus chapter 6. Consider God's cause. 
This is the Lord speaking to Moses. Moses, who is a great leader of the Hebrew people, the Israelites. And God said to Moses this in Exodus 6, verses 6 to 8. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to, a, to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. This is God speaking to Moses. He said, I'll take you as my own people. I'll be your God. This is the cause of God to have a people of his own that would call him God, that he would be their God. That was the intent of Almighty God from the creation of the world, to have a people of his own. He created man and woman, but he did not force himself upon them. He didn't say you must. No, he was gracious to them. He gave them the world, the entire world, with one single exception, a few square feet. Don't touch this particular tree. Well, the first pair rebelled. I think most of us are familiar with the account. And they fell under a curse. And that curse included punishment because of their rebellion. And God made it his cause then to redeem mankind from that curse. This is part of what he said to Moses. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. This is God's succinctly stated, in a nutshell, condensed down, concise and we might call it a mission statement. This is in mission statement form, the cause of God. And of course, there's much more to it. Yes, there's much more detail to the mission of God. When we read and we study scripture, we can add detail, of course. We can flesh it out that there's mission beyond this brief mission statement. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. We could say that's the mission statement, but yes, there's more to it. God is a king, and God is benevolent, and God is loving, and his desire is for a people, to have a kingdom of people to call his own. And he expressed his loving desire to Moses. I will free you from being slaves. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. And I will bring you to the land that I promised. So God's redeemer. God is savior. God is king over all. And he is the king. That redeemed and saved. For his people. He redeemed them. And he desired. The people to know him. As that redeemer. And as that savior. And he wanted a people that would be motivated 
by his love to renounce their sin and to desire righteousness and to take on his cause, the cause of the king and add to his kingdom. It's a, it's a bigger picture of the cause and we talk about it all the time. And that gives just a few details. It fleshes out the mission statement, if you will. And when the people were together, when the people were together and they were focused on God's mission, when they're in one accord, the nation of Israel prospered. As the history of Israel unfolded, after God redeemed these people from slavery, well, eventually they asked to be led by their own king here on earth. And God was gracious. God heard their request. He gave them a king, King Saul. And then he gave them David. And to David, God said, I promise you, your line, your dynasty is going to be eternal. It's going to go on forever. And when David died, his son Solomon became king. And Solomon built this grand temple for God. The temple for God to reside in, for his presence to be there. Solomon honored God before the people. He got down on his knees and his face before the people when he dedicated that temple. And he prayed. And the people, they followed Solomon. They honored God. The nation was one nation under one king, faithful to God, and they prospered. Read a little bit about the history of Israel under Solomon, and that, that country was expanding. People were bringing gold and silver from all over the place. As a matter of fact, they had so much gold, silver became like tin. It, it almost became worthless because they had so much gold. They were prospering. But the nation faltered because Solomon faltered. In his later years, he began to fall away from the Lord. And when Solomon died, the nation was torn into two. With the greater portion, ten tribes, going to a man named Jeroboam. And he became king of the ten tribes that they called Israel. He was king of Israel. Solomon's own son, Rehoboam, he received the lesser portion of the nation. The tribe of Judah, the little tribe of Benjamin. He was called the king of Judah. God said to King Jeroboam, king of Israel, you're king. You have 10 tribes. You've got this big portion. Honor me. Walk in obedience. Do what's right in my eyes. In other words, God is saying to Jeroboam, take up my cause. Make me your cause. And I promise you, God promised, listen, Jeroboam, you do this. You follow me. You walk in obedience. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, your dynasty is going to be as lasting as David's. He said, I will give you an enduring dynasty as enduring as David's. Wow, that's a great promise. Jeroboam had more land. He had more people. He dwarfed the size of Judah. Didn't have one thing, though. He didn't have Jerusalem. That city was to the south. That was in Judah. And he didn't have the temple of God. He didn't have that temple that Solomon had built. Now for a moment, just picture yourself as Jeroboam. You've just received 
this lion's share of the kingdom. God said, I'm with you. I am with you. I will bless you. I'm going to bless the socks off your feet. All you got to do is take up my cause. Follow me. Be with me. Stick with me. Walk with me. It's all going to be so. All these blessings. Now, if you're Jeroboam, is your cause God's cause? Or are you going to fret about what you don't have? You're going to be fretting about that city of Jerusalem and that temple? Ah, Jeroboam thought about it. Then he thought about what God promised. And he came to this conclusion, "Ah, if I don't have Jerusalem, all my people are going to go down there. They are going to go south. They're going to go to that temple and they're going to worship God and they're going to defect. They're never going to come back. They're going to make themselves loyal to that king of Judah. So Jeremiah, I mean Jeroboam, he, he hatched his own plan. I'll make some gods. Mm. Very similar to what happened when the people came out of Egypt. Jeroboam made some golden calves. He built altars before them. He put one way up in his north country in a place called Dan. He put one way down south, close as he could get to, to Jerusalem in the city of Bethel. Put a golden calf and an altar there. And he said, hey, you people of Israel, these are your gods that saved you from Egypt. These are the gods that redeemed you. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. And then he mimicked all the sacrifices that were made at the temple of God. He mimicked them all before these golden idols. You know, he might have thought, I'm doing this for the people. My cause is the people. I need to keep them together. And this will do it. I need to keep them from from defecting to the south. But his cause, no matter how good he thought it was, no matter how great his intention was, his cause was separated from the cause of Almighty God. And this is what happened. 1 Kings chapter 13. 1 Kings chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. He's by the altar making an offering to his golden calf. By the word of the Lord, the man of God cried out against the altar. Altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you, he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will split apart, and the ashes on it will be poured out. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him. But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also, the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. Wow. Jeroboam had turned from God's cause, followed his own cause, 
He went on his own mission, and he suffered because of it. And his altar was destroyed right before his very eyes. You'd think that might get his attention. But you read on, Jeroboam reigned 22 years, and he didn't change. He reigned 22 years on his own mission for his own cause, not the Lord's cause. He had the people convinced that making an offering at the altar of the golden calf, it was really no different than going to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem. And the people never turned back to God. In the books of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, it gives a history of all the 19 kings that came after Jeroboam. And you will read this line repeated several times. The Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jeroboam. There is a new king. Eh, he followed the sins of Jeroboam. And there was a new king, and he followed the sins of Jeroboam. Jeroboam was like, he was like the poster boy for sin. Stayed on his own mission, his own cause. And let this be an example to the church. God's people and God's cause given in the Old Testament passages, they're images for us. They are foreshadows for us, the church. God's people and God's cause today. These are examples for the church. The passage from the book of Exodus about God the Redeemer and God the Savior, the God who desired a people of his own. That's a foreshadow of the mission of the church in the New Testament. It's a, it's a forward look where the people are the church and Christ is the king. I want to share with you from the great, great church planter, the Apostle Paul. He wrote to this man named Titus. Paul had placed Titus there as a leader on the island of Crete. And he wrote to him, giving him some advice and some direction. I'm going to share with you what he wrote. This is the second chapter of Titus, verses 11 to 14. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Can you see the parallels to the Old Testament passage from Exodus? God is Savior. Jesus Christ is the great Savior. His love expressed through grace. Paul wrote about grace. The grace of God has appeared. Jesus' love expressed through grace. It's a gift. Jesus gave himself, for what? To redeem us from all wickedness, Paul wrote. Jesus received the penalty that we deserved. He was nailed to a Roman cross for our wickedness. So what? 
so that he would have a people for his very own. Just like it says back in Exodus. It echoes what God said to Moses, which is fulfilled perfectly in Christ Jesus. The cause of Christ is to have himself a people. And he desires, how did Paul put it? I go back and look. Some people, right? God has appeared offering salvation to some people. No, to all people, all people. The cause of Christ is to have himself a people and he desires all people. Paul wrote this to Titus. This gift of grace, the sacrifice of Jesus, it offers salvation to everyone, all people, not just some people. Christ's cause is to receive by repentance and faith everyone, every single person who would do that, who would, who would come to Christ repentful with faith. It's not about specific people. It's not about just those people in that geographic location. It's about everyone. And this is the image of the church. Paul was a Jew. He wrote to Titus, a Greek, who was on the island of Crete. He's got some things to say about Cretan if you Cretans if, if you read the first chapter. Does race have anything to do with it? No. The church is for all races. And Paul wrote chapter 1 and then into chapter 2. He wrote about men and women and young men and young women. It's everyone, both young and old, men and women. In other words, all races, all generations, all people. That is the church. And the cause of Christ is the cause of the church. And what is that cause? It's to, we, to fan out and tell everyone of this great grace called Jesus who offered his life for all, everyone, salvation to all people. Paul put it a little more concisely. I'll call it a mission statement form in, in his letter to the Corinthians. The church in the city of Corinth, Greek church, Greek city, under the, Rome, under the Roman uh, empire at the time, which was just, it was the way of the world there. If you read about the history of Corinth, it was kind of like Las Vegas, Sin City. Paul wrote to the church in that city, first letter he wrote, first chapter, he wrote, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now there's a mission statement. What's the cause of the church? Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the mission. Or it's in Christ and it's in Christ crucified that there's this embodiment of grace, this great gift and redemption and salvation from sin and wickedness. And then there's this hope of eternal life. And when the church is together and they're in one accord for this cause, for this cause, Jesus Christ and him crucified, then I'll tell you what's going to happen. The church will prosper. 
I am telling you this, the church will prosper when the church's mission is Jesus Christ and him crucified. There is, there is nothing that'll stop the church when that's the cause. So what's happening in the church? What's happening in the church in, in the United States, I'll say? Is the church prospering? There are local churches that I will say they're prospering. But the church, capital C church, across the nation, it's stagnating, it's shrinking. A recent survey, Pew Research Center, here's what, here's what their uh, report begins with. Christianity is declining at a rapid pace in the United States, and the numbers of those who have no faith at all are swelling. What can we do? What can the church do? We can heed the warning from the example of Jeroboam, who separated from the cause. He separated from God's cause. See Israel there in that Old Testament denoting the church. They were saved. They were redeemed by God. He saved them by his outstretched arm, he wrote. They were saved by God who desired to have his own people that would call him their God. And Israel was united. And they were expanding. And they were prospering under King Solomon. But then there was a straying from the cause. They separated from the cause. And no sooner do we read that Solomon died that the people who were once united divided. Israel departed Judah, and they departed the cause of God. The profane altar that was set up in Bethel split apart. It split apart, and its ashes spilled out as a sign of what was to come. And what came was the nation eventually fell totally and completely. Yet Jeroboam continued on his mission. His cause, not the Lord's. You might say, well, he got 22 years to reign. He had a good life. His mission, not the Lord's. And he's remembered with this line. Israel persisted in the sins of Jeroboam. The people separated from God's cause. Can't we see, can't we see immediately the spiritual, spiritual ramifications to the church? Can't we see the importance of this little narrative stuck in the Old Testament. And it's instruction to us today, the church. And again, I say the capital C church. It has set up altars that are separated from the cause of Christ. The church in this country has done that. And the people in, in the church have followed and they've made altars for their own personal cause. And it diverges from the cause of Christ. Christ and him crucified. When we make altars for our own cause, we've separated from that cause. We've separated from the cause of Christ, and we've separated ourselves from grace and redemption and salvation. What are some of the altars that are being set up in some churches that call themselves part of Christianity, that say they're under the umbrella of the capital C Christian church? What are some of the altars? How about the altar of affirming some churches that once preached that grace and salvation that comes by Jesus Christ to win a person over from sin, winning them to a life devoted to Christ, a life that says, as Paul wrote, no to ungodliness and worldly passions, 
living self-controlled and upright and godly. Some churches preach that, but now some of those same churches preach that real grace, authentic grace of Jesus affirms. It affirms ungodliness and worldly passions. I read this in an article. It's from, from a mainline denomination about church affirming everyone. Just a little excerpt. Congregations must reform themselves into communities where each voice is heard and deemed important to the whole. Doesn't sound bad. Only when each person is important, only when each voice is heard, and only when each person determines their path can there be the community Jesus wanted. I don't get that. God said to Jeroboam, stay on my path. Stick with my cause. Don't go out and determine your own path. But that's what Jeroboam did. He said, I'll determine my own path. I'll follow my own cause. And now some Christians, well-meaning Christians, say that a gracious Jesus will, will tell you, you can define your own path. Jesus Christ died. He died a gruesome way, being nailed to a cross to free us from the debt we owed for sin. And he said to the sinner, I don't condemn you. But he also said, follow me. Get behind my cause. Say no to worldly passions and wickedness. Jesus said, go and sin no more. Jesus did not say, stay on your own path. Jesus did not say, follow your own cause. From a different article I read, another uh, example, this was from someone who was raised in the church. It says this, I made up my mind. I have a new mission field. My parents were missionaries, and we traveled the globe spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Sounds amazing. This missionary kid is going back to the mission field. Still sounds good. I am going to spread the good news of affirmation in church every Sunday. Well, what's that about? It's a new mission. It's a new cause. It's not the good news. No, it's not the good news. It's something different. Something different called affirming. Oh, you can do whatever you want. It's all good. Jesus affirms it. He affirms you. Whatever you do. Jesus affirms, no, that is not what I read in scripture. Jesus received sinners. Yes, he did. Yes, yes, he did. He welcomed them. He ate with them. He talked with them. He was accused of being a sinner. He hung out with them so much. But he never, ever, ever affirmed sin. He did not. Never did it. What are some other altars? that professing Christians might raise up. Well, there's, there's altars of cultural causes. We need to get behind this and that. There's, there's social justice and there's political parties. There's the altar of even a politician. The cause of pandemic policies. We should do this, we should do that. And they set it up and they're just, they're so passionate about it. Some have made their children their cause. Wherever their, their children go, they're going. And they follow them right out of the faith. The causes, the missions that some are on. 
But if the altar is not the cause of Jesus Christ, if it's displaced Christ and him crucified, that altar's gonna fail. It's gonna split apart. And the ashes inside of it are gonna spill out. I'm not saying you can never be involved in an issue. I'm not saying you can never support a cause or be passionate about it or give good things to your kids. But I'm saying, never let that supersede the cause of Jesus Christ. Because when it happens, the church will not prosper. Think about all that Paul the Apostle could have made his mission. He lived under these Roman emperors, Augustus, Tiberius, Caliglia, Claudius, and Nero. Now, these were generally not nice people. They authorized brutal practices like crucifixion. During Paul's lifetime, crucifixion was common. Thousands and thousands of people were crucified. You you know that Rome might just come into a city and crucify some people just to make an example. Hey, we're here. Let's take take out some people and nail them to a cross. Let people know we've arrived. That's history. It's real. The emperors had authority over it all. How bad were they? Just I'll give you a couple of real brief examples. Caligula's reign was just one of total and complete debauchery. He was cruel and sadistic. He often repeated this line. Remember that I have the right to do anything to anybody. And he did. Nero was a vicious tyrant. He murdered his own mother and his wife and others. Senators even. After the great fire of Rome in 64, Nero was kind of getting the blame. People said, hey, I think he started the fire to make room for a palace expansion. So he diverted blame to Christians. I read this in an article from uh, history.com. It says, Nero er ordered all manner of creative and brutal persecution of the Christians. Some were condemned to be dressed in animal skins and torn apart by dogs, while others were burned to death in nighttime pyres that provided light for the emperor's garden parties. Imagine that. Some Christians are acting as lights for the garden party. The New Testament letters by Paul, they were likely written during the reign of Nero. Think about that. When Paul was falsely charged with a crime by the Jews, he said, I appeal to Rome. I want to go before the emperor. He want to go before Nero. Now, if anyone had a reason to be on a mission, on a cause against the abuse of power, a a, a cause of like social justice and and tolerance and acceptance and all of that, if anyone had, had a reason to be on that cause, it would have been Paul the Apostle. Yet what did he write? To the church of Rome, no less. Romans 13, verse 1, he wrote, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Whoosh, wow, really? Think about that. You're in a city where they just crucified 25 people just to make a point. Hey, be subject to Emperor Nero. That's what he wrote, inspired by the word, by the Holy Spirit. It's the word of God. Now, Paul could have railed against the government, and he could have railed against all of its corruption and injustice, but he didn't. 
Think for a moment if I stood up here and, and said, let everyone be subject to, now you fill in the blank. Put the name of a president there. Let everyone be subject to President Trump. Let everyone be subject to President Biden. I'll tell you what, if I said either one, people would be upset. They'd be like, what are you saying? What are you talking about? Think about Paul. He wrote this, and the emperor was Nero. But he didn't make it his cause to, to be all about that. No, no, on his altar, his cause was Christ and Christ crucified, period. That was it. He resolved to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. It doesn't mean he was a bad citizen. He wasn't. I mean, he used his citizenship to his advantage when he, when he needed it. Hey, I, I'm not going before the Jewish tribunal. Send me to Rome. He did that because he was a Roman citizen. He knew his rights. But he didn't let any of these other causes, any of these other issues. And again, it doesn't mean we got to be uninformed. It doesn't mean we're ignorant of them. It doesn't mean we, we completely forget about them. But he didn't let them become most prominent. didn't let them displace the cause of Jesus Christ see he knew the lesson of Jeroboam he knew what happens if we begin to kind of justify it all ah yeah it's okay it'll help me keep some people they won't defect it'll be easier for someone they won't have to travel so far whatever he knew the lesson of Jeroboam and he wasn't going to let any cause supersede the cause of Christ and him crucified. He knew that lesson and we should too. Church, we should take it to heart. We should know it. What's your cause today? What's your cause? You got something that's been burning you? It's, it's just, you got this passion? You've been letting everyone know about it? Is it Christ? and him crucified what is your cause today may it be Jesus I want to pray as we go and I don't know if there's anyone in here and in your heart you know yeah I've, I've, I've put up something a little higher than Jesus and I've been a little over the top about it could be any any of these examples or others you know Let, let's let's stand and pray and just take time to look in your own heart if if we're on the cause of Christ if we're together on it you know we're going to prosper i believe it with all my heart This is the word of God. If we resolve to know nothing but Christ and him crucified, and then we live that way, like Paul wrote to Titus, saying no to the garbage of the world, saying no to some of the causes they might want to press on us to follow after people or purposes that distract from Christ. If we resolve to do that, we're going to prosper. The church will prosper. The kingdom of God will prosper. And I want to challenge you to do that. 
if there's any distraction, anything that's pulled down, if you've set up an altar in your heart, in your life, man, it's going to break apart. It might not be now. It might be 22 years from now. But it's going to fail if it's not Jesus. So I'll just ask you all inside to, to look. And, and it, if, if you feel the need, if, if you'd like to come and just kneel at these altars and say, Lord, I'm giving it up. I give myself away. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not raising up this person, that item. I'm not following whatever. I'm following you. I want to be on your cause. You can come here and pray. And I'll pray right now. I want that blessing for this local church and for the church across the whole nation that our cause is Christ and him crucified. God, thank you for the word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples you put before us. Help us not to have a heart like Jeroboam that would go our own way on our own cause to make idols that would defy you. Lord, as well as we might think we're intended. God, I pray if any of us need to be convicted and convinced, you would do that. That we would lay down, put down anything that we've raised above Jesus anything that we've put on an altar to, to, to be above Christ and him crucified. May our hearts be like those altar, like that altar that, that was prophesied against. Let our heart tear and open and be broken for what we've done and turn to Jesus and him alone. And God, may it be our passion, may it be everyone's passion that we'd be on the cause to share Christ and Christ crucified. May our hearts be to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. Lord, make that preeminent in our lives. Make it be the most important thing when we're tempted to get so, so passionate about something else. God bless this congregation. Thank you for adding to it. And Lord, we pray you'd add to your church such as should be saved to those who would look to Jesus. And help us to be the witnesses for him. To speak of his, his giving of his life. His redemption of his, and his salvation. God bless us all. Bless us all with it, Lord. Embolden us. Give us your strength and your power to do it. When we're tempted to go otherwise, God, show us the way out. Lord, may we be living as those redeemed, saved people. Saying no all that other stuff. Thank you, God. Thank you. May that blessing rest on all.